And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me in the studio today, Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York. Good day. And Dr. Hans Vogt, associate professor at Ulster County Community College. Pleasure to be here. On this program, within the milieu of history, theology, and current events, we attempt to explore a variety of questions of interest, which have been brought to our attention by either you, the listener, or items that we've dug up as we prepared for this program. Last week, we started this discussion concerning what is an education, and how did we get to our current state of education from the early founders of this nation, some of the Puritans. We looked at, um, I believe it was Cotton Mather, back in the 1650s or thereabouts. So let's uh, continue on, gentlemen. We talked about the Puritans. I'd like for us now to advance a bit more in terms of the time, the history, uh, bring us up into the 20 and 21st century. Maybe, Hans, you can kind of kick this off for us today. Sure. Well, we said in our last session that in the late 19th century, states began to require compulsory public schooling. Uh, And it was really a product of the Industrial Revolution that was taking place in the late 19th century. Uh, The effort was very much supported by industrialists, um, in part because they wanted a pliant workforce for their factories. Hmm. Uh, It was also partly out of concern for the millions of immigrants who were coming in to this country. Uh, And the concern was, how do we turn these immigrants into Americans? Yeah, and the easiest way it was very difficult, of course, when you've got somebody who's who's an adult for them to change their habits and culture and so forth. But if we can take those immigrant children and get them uh, when they're five or six years old and give us twelve years in public school, and we can turn them into good Americans, we can mm-hmm. assimilate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that really, by 1918, all the states in the union had compulsory uh, public education. Now. There, of course, continued to be, as there is today, uh, private schools, parochial schools. But parents who choose those options, of course, pay a high price, literally as well as figuratively, uh, because they have to pay taxes to support the schools they don't use and then pay the tuition to go to the school they do use. You're paying double, essentially, right. Another element that's important here is that um, along with compulsory public schooling came college-trained teachers. Uh, And what's important here is that in the late 19th century, Christians, the Christian church, lost control of higher education in this country. Uh, The older established universities, um, Harvard and Princeton and so forth, gradually drifted away from their earlier Christian commitments. The new research universities that were established with the backing of Rockefeller and so forth Uh, like Johns Hopkins and and Chicago and so forth, those were all established on an explicitly secular basis. You know, Johns Hopkins was the first private research university, and uh, what's significant is at its opening ceremonies in 1876, there was no prayer, Mm. no mention of God at all, but the keynote address was by Thomas Huxley, the leading uh, uh, advocate of uh, Darwinian evolution. Oh, my. Mm Mm-hmm. So when you lose control of the higher education, then you lose control of teacher training, uh, and you lose control of the curriculum in the public schools. Uh, And in this way, sort of, uh, Christianity was eased out the door of the public schools. Mm. 
Now I'm reminded of a quote that you shared with us last week, Hans. In the times of the Puritans, the minister had this goal. It said, uh, the minister that shall give his neighbors no rest until they have agreeable schools among them. And so um, he was there making sure that these schools stayed true to their original calling to the Christian gospel, essentially. Apparently, you know, of course, that's gone by the wayside now, and mm-hmm. and uh, the influence of the ministers uh, is very often not positive. <laughs> I remember the one minister in the public high school, there was a, a minister years ago, my dad was a high school guidance counselor, mm-hmm. and he used to have Christian books on dating. He had Christian books in there from a Christian author um, on dating, on studying, mm-hmm. It was a minister that came in and forced him to have them taken out because they were Christian. A minister? Yes. Oh, dear. <laughs> Shall I mention the denomination? No, no, It wasn't no, Presbyterian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Well, um, I was uh, sharing last week from this little book called Foundations of Christian Education, Addresses to Christian Teachers by Burkhoff and Van Til, edited by Dennis Johnson. And uh, maybe this will spur some thoughts here today as we continue this program. Here's a quotation. I want to know your thoughts about this. Quote, To be sure, some parents place their children in Christian schools in the hope of avoiding the world's obvious temptations, drugs, premarital sex, and the resulting spread of teen pregnancy, and life-threatening disease, violence, and other crime. But Van Til and Burkhoff point us to a deeper rationale for Christian schools, a rationale that plunges to the root of the issue. For the superficial fruit that so alarms the observer of the public high school must be traced to its root in a worldview that takes man as the measure of all things. Mm. The purpose for the Christian school is not to facilitate flight from surface symptoms, but to counteract the source of the infection that attacks the educational system, as it does our society generally from within, unquote. Yeah, if you look at that, I think that quote is absolutely right, and that's the problem of what's gone on in public schools. What was it, 1960s, Madeline Murray O'Hare got prayer judicially, using the judicial system, banned from schools. Um, I went to a high school where I had a French teacher who put scriptures on the on the board, and yeah, she in did fact, it. I remember you shared that a, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. And she did it in different languages so she could get away with it. But after that, prayer was banned. Sometime after that, somebody made the comment, I don't think that really affected much of anything. Does that prayer really do anything? Mm-hmm. And my thought was, yes. The problem is basically what we've t- turned around and said We have everything. We're teaching everything. Without prayer, without God, we're giving you everything you need to know. Mm -hmm. And so we're saying life is all about reading and writing and mathematics and a concern for God isn't even important. And again, it goes back to, uh, I think we talked about this in our last session, about uh, what's your starting point? What's your worldview? Uh, As Christians... 
we should be doing everything we do, and this includes uh, education, uh, to the glory of God and for the purpose of, of understanding him better. The Dutch uh, theologian and politician Abraham Kuyper said, there is nothing in this universe to which God does not point and say, that is mine. Uh, and that applies to education as well. And so we should not seed the realm of education or the realm of science or math and say somehow, well, God isn't really relevant to that. No, uh, God is the author of everything in the universe. And, and we study science and we study math and we study all the other subjects, not just for their own sake, but rather for the glory of God. Yeah. Amen. Go, Go ahead. ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, one of the schools I think that, that does that, a secondary school, is Covenant College. And uh, I, I know uh, they pointed out, they said, look, when you come to Covenant College, we have a business major. Now, if you go to, to most secular universities, what's the business major going to teach you? The bottom line. The bottom line is to make the most profit. He says, at Covenant College, the bottom line isn't to make the most profit. The bottom line is to glorify God with your business. Mm. <laughs> and, and so that's the entirely different focus. Yeah, really. I see we're up against a break here. We'll take a short break right now. You're listening to A Plain Answer here on Redeemer Broadcasting. Today's topic is education. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here, Redeemer Broadcasting. Today, the topic of the discussion is concerning education and uh, the history of that and some of the philosophy of education, actually. And so we now continue this discussion with Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. Hans Vogt. Gentlemen, one of the scripture verses that I have before me here is from 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 4 and 5. It says this, and I think it pertains very much to education. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, how's that for folding in 
some thinking here to what is the philosophy of a Christian education. What is an education? Right. I was thinking um, my alma mater, Gordon College, um, the sort of mantra was the integration of faith and learning. That is, whatever subject you were taking, uh, how do we look at history from a Christian perspective? How do we look at biology from a Christian perspective? How do we look at psychology from a Christian perspective? You know, it matters uh, the the perspective that you're coming from. Um, And doing education from a Christian perspective is more than simply having a devotion or a short prayer before you begin your study. It's how you approach the subject. And that's the part that, you know, goes back to this idea of godless schools versus godly schools. It's not just uh, whether, you know, it's affiliated with a church or whether there is a, a, a certain name, you know, attached to it, but it's, it's the perspective of the instruction mm-hmm. uh, and the students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in contrast to, to Gordon College, I went to Loyola of Chicago for two weeks, good Jesuit school. And my philosophy professor was a Jesuit priest. And uh, he basically told us that what we're going to do in our philosophy course is not generally do an overview. He says, we'll be doing that. But he says, what I really want for this course is for you to develop a philosophy of life for yourselves. Mm-hmm. He says, except we are not going to to broach the question whether God exists or not. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> the most basic question of all, and we're not even going to ask it. <laughs> I think it was Van Til that uh, made an analogy to us being like an electric bulb that needed a current uh, if it was to show any light. And in fact, I found the uh, quotation here in this uh, book entitled Foundations of Christian Education, Antithesis in Education is the chapter. And he says this, Non-Christians believe that insofar as man knows anything, he knows apart from God. Man's mind is not an electric bulb that needs a current if it is to show any light, but is rather an oil lamp that carries its own supplies. Christians believe that everything is dark unless the current of God's revelation be turned on. We cannot even see any quote-unquote facts without this light. Non-Christian teachers will accordingly sometimes think they really have and know the facts and can teach the child all about them. And then again, when they see that the facts are really in the dark, they will give up in utter despair. Christian teachers know that not a single fact can really be known and therefore really be taught unless placed under the light of the revelation of God. So it's kind of uh, two systems, two different points of view. And in, in my opinion, one is the biblical perspective and the other is just what natural law would teach you and kind of come up short you can learn a lot from it granted because god has designed this world but without revelation we're at a loss to explain the why of this world right it's that idea of the two books that god is the author of both of the general revelation in terms of creation and the specific revelation in scripture Mm -hmm. you need to study both Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that idea of the being a light, it's important to remember, too, that the idea of being the light of the world or the salt of the earth or the city on the hill is to shine into the darkness. Mm-hmm. One of the dangers, I think, of Christian education, whether it's a homeschooling or, or private school or, or Christian college, is that you don't want to fall into the trap of a holy huddle, of withdrawing right. from the world mm-hmm. and not interacting 
we study um, from a Christian perspective, but then we need to be engaged with secular education um, in the attempt to shine light into the darkness and to, to win them over. Yeah, that's a very important thing. And I think sometimes we look at our education today, especially for families that are listening today, and uh, they kind of fall into three categories. You have those that homeschool, those that send their kids to Christian schools or private schools, and then those that send them to the public schools. And I think we need to look at that, you know, very carefully. There are some great advantages, especially to the first two. (laughs) Sure. But there's also, I think, opportunities in that third one. I I think often Christians tend to to look at that and say, hey, you should never send your kid to the public school. I I disagree with I obviously disagree with it. Two of my kids went through the the public high school. Mm -hmm. Um, Two of my kids went to a Christian school, and all of my kids were homeschooled. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's different aspects of it. And even in the public realm, they can learn a lot because, after all, we have God's common grace. There is truth that is taught that is true no matter what because Mm -hmm. it's God's truth. Now, Mm -hmm. yes, they may not have the correct worldview, but you do have this whole mass of raw data that they can give, which is good, Mm -hmm. and they can learn that. But it also gives you an opportunity to stand up, and as Christians should, in the public school and say, hey, certain things are wrong. As a college professor, both in a public college now and also having taught at Christian colleges, I've seen a lot of students who come in from evangelical homes and evangelical families. Um, some of them come in and know what they've been taught, but aren't aware that there are any other alternative ways of thinking about subjects. And when they find out there are, that's very threatening to them, and and it really disturbs them. On the other hand, I've also found a lot of these evangelical students come in who really, even though they've gone to Christian high schools and gone to good churches and so forth, they really have no idea what they believe and why they believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to be sure, whatever option we're choosing for education, uh, we need to be sure as parents, as teachers, um, as ministers, that we're encouraging students to fully and deeply uh, pursue their education and that we're not simply making it all superficial and entertaining, but that there's real depth and meat. Mm-hmm. I'm going back to that verse again uh, that we read earlier in this program, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So I guess one of the conclusions we should make is that no matter which model you find yourself using for education, you must obey this verse. So mm-hmm. in the home, um, if you happen, some, some people have no choice but to have their children in the public school. And so if you happen to have a child in the public school, um, hopefully the training, the love in the home, the uh, devotion toward God in the home is such that every thought can be brought into obedience of Christ. I know myself in my home growing up uh, as a young boy, um, my mother in the morning 
our parents would pray with us before they sent us off to mm-hmm. school. And uh, we were in a Christian environment. We would attend church. There would be uh, Christian training. Uh, we would read the Bible together. And all these things count so very much. Uh, they're not just trivial little add-ons. They're part of the warp and woof of the education of the very makeup of this young person as he grows into a man or woman of God. And that's important, especially for, well, I, I say especially for those who send their kids to a secular uh, school, you know, the public school, that they have an understanding that they need to teach their kids what's not going to be taught in the public school. That's about God and Jesus Christ. I hesitate when I say that because those who send their children to the Christian schools ought to be thinking that as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, yes, the Christian schools are going to be teaching that, but if they're not hearing it at home, right? how important is it? In other words, the Christian school can't be used just as a convenient Band-Aid, as a right. fix-it, because of something that's not happening in the home. Right. You can't expect the Christian school no. to take care of that for you. Absolutely. I mean, and if, if the assumption is that there is no drinking and no drug use and no premarital sex or whatever in the Christian school... You know, that's just not reality. Mm-hmm. Um, there's hopefully less of it, and certainly it's not condoned, but, yeah. you know, the sin nature is, is there. present there as well. Um, you know, whether it's a secular school or whether it's a Christian school, uh, if you rely on the school alone to teach and enforce morality, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, moral instruction should be part of teaching. But that can't only come from the school. It's not mm-hmm. a substitute for moral instruction at home and, and, and encouragement with fellow believers in church. Mm-hmm. Now, let's take a young person growing up, and let's say this young person, young man, young woman, um, loves God with all their heart. They're truly a Christian. How would their Christian faith actually help their education? How would it enhance it? I'm just throwing that out with no prep. Gentlemen. Yeah, one one of the th- one of the things I think you know when you your Christian education helps you understand the world as it is. The world as it is is created by God and it was created very good, but mm. then things fell. Mm-hmm. What the Christian does is it, is it looks at the world and it says, "Look at the wonders of creation." But it never gets to the point of ever worshiping it because you see it also has fallen. And they also look at it and say, yes, there are things that we can do to improve. And that's where, you know, Mm -hmm. science comes in and and we make these improvements. I think there's a contrast you can actually see with a lot of society where nature is being worshipped. And nature is good. Nature is always good. It never Mm -hmm. makes a mistake. Well, I'm sorry, it does. (laughs) You know, it really does. I see it in history, which is the subject I teach. Uh, if you don't understand human nature, um, then you're going to have a hard time understanding uh, history. Yeah. Uh, uh, Niebuhr said that you know total depravity is the one religious doctrine which can be empirically verified. In other words, if you study history, you will become convinced. And I've you're seen that. See That's right. I had. I remember one time I was teaching Western civilization, um, uh, second half, and we began with the Reformation. And we were talking about Calvin, and the students were just furious at this idea that that humans were totally depraved and and predestination, Mm -hmm. and no, no, humans are basically good and they have free will. Well, after studying for several months and going through several hundred years of European history, we got up to the 20th century, to the horrors of totalitarian regimes like Hitler and Stalin. And so I, I asked the students the question, well, would it have made a difference if 
somebody other than Stalin had taken charge of, of the Soviet Union. Hmm. And the entire class answered, no, it wouldn't have made a difference. Humans are basically bad, and it would have been... <laughs> and I just smiled and said, congratulations, you've I become Calvinist. <laughs> you, know? you taught hey, them a lot. That's right. I mean, yeah. it wasn't, wasn't it? Sidney Alstrom, a church history professor, didn't believe in total depravity until he uh, was fighting in World War II or something like that. Right. I can't remember. <laughs> Another uh, danger I was thinking about here is that we know that the Christian faith is true, we know that we're to cast down these arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. In doing that, I think it's important that we remain humble as mm-hmm. as Christians and as Christian educators to know that we're not superior. We don't know it all. We worship a God who has created it all, and therefore he knows it all, but, but we don't, and we're still learning. And so we are not to have this snobbish <laughs> uh, attitude towards non-believers and act like we're superior to them because we are not. Or other believers, too. It's all of grace. It is. You know, you can do everything right Mm -hmm. and your kids will turn out wrong. Mm. And you can do a lot of stupid things and terrible things and by God's grace, they come and they they turn out terrific. It's all of grace, isn't it? It's all God's grace. And and that's why, above all things, uh, Christian parents, uh, the most important part of their education our kids' education is our prayers for our kids. Hmm. Amen. And realizing that education itself, the ability to learn and study, is a gift of God. Hmm. Um, you know, I often, when I'm teaching about the scientific revolution, uh, I read to my students what Johann Kepler wrote in his diary when he hmm. discovered the laws of planetary motion. He wasn't bragging about himself. Instead, in his diary, he thanked God that God had allowed him to figure out a tiny piece of how God ordered the universe. That's right. Yeah. Well, I see we're out of time already for this edition of A Plain Answer. We want to thank you so much for joining us today. In the studio with me has been uh, Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York, and Dr. Hans Vogt, associate professor of Ulster County Community College. And also a reminder, try to pick up this little book. It's called Foundations of Christian Education. Addresses to Christian Teachers by Louis Burkhoff and Cornelius Van Til, edited by Dennis E. Johnson. It's part of the Christian Perspective series, and it's published by Presbyterian Reform Publishing Company. I'm sure you can find it online, but uh, give us a call or uh, email us if you want that reference uh, shared with you again. This has been A Plain Answer here on Redeemer Broadcasting. We invite you to join us again next week at this same time. Thanks so much for tuning in today. May our Lord richly bless you today as you serve Him.